Hey, hey, hey. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are. And however, we're together in 2024. Thank you for being here for season five. I'm Dave, and this is Dave's Head. So what's in my head? First of all, like I said, welcome to season five of Dave's Head. Took off the fedora, rocking the baldy. We changed some things up this season. It's going to be hype. I'm so looking forward to walking through each episode, the guests I have lined up for this season. Great, great stuff coming. But let's, let's, let's take a little step back. From the last time we were together back in November when I closed out season four and talk about a couple things that have happened. The first thing I'll say is children are Petri dishes. Walking Petri dishes. What do I mean? So, love him to death, but I babysat my godsons, um, who hugged and coughed all over me for two days. Um, their entire school got sick, um, and they gave me some respiratory thing. You may or may not hear it in my voice. It's still a little scratchy. This is almost a month and a half ago. It took me about a good month to get not phlegmy. This respiratory thing that's been going around, it's the real deal. Probably didn't help that I kind of was in denial for a couple days that I might catch what they was coughing. Um, but yeah, when it hit me, it put me on my ass. And it was around my birthday, so I was struggling. I was, I was just pushing, trying to push through. Uh, but I um, got through. And um, although I'm the, <laughs> I'm the biggest baby when I get sick, okay? I know. Look like I'm a strong guy, you know, you see muscles, all that stuff, play football 30 years, hitting guys one and a half times my size, tackling fullbacks, 270, yeah, doing all that. But when I get sick, I'm the biggest little baby. And I fully admit it, I fully embrace it, it's not changing. I don't like being sick. And so I don't want to talk, I don't want to do nothing, I don't want to eat, which is kind of the worst thing you're supposed to do when you're sick. But still, um, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm the biggest, biggest baby when I get sick. But I had a great time with my uh, godsons. Took them to a cookie-making class, um, which they weren't too excited about. It, I was way more excited than they were when we walked in. But as we got into it and started making the cookies and doing all those things, they got a little, they got a little bit more excited. Um, but when you think about children and the environment they're in every day. Tons of kids, you know, kids hug on each other and talk in each other's faces and do all types of stuff. It's amazing to me that you don't see parents because listen, children have growing immune systems. Um, they're basically fighting stuff every day. And so their immune system getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Us adults, um, we're out doing happy hours. I mean, as a parent, you're probably doing a reduced amount of happy hours, but you're drinking wine, beer, you're chilling. And so all the alcohol, regardless of whether it's a small amount or a large amount, reduces your immune system a little bit. Your body has to process it and all that stuff. Now, I didn't have any alcohol that weekend. I just got coughed on <laughs> a lot. But it's amazing that, you know, an entire school can go through the entire school, teachers, students all impacted. And then um, like two days later, my godsons, they were great. Bouncing off the walls, having a great time. Me, I'm coughing up a storm, blowing my nose, green stuff coming out of here, white stuff coming out of there. It was nasty. But again, I had a great time with them. Great, great time with them. 
I talked about, secondly, um, in the last episode, my mentor, Miss Walls, who was my mentor since high school, um, long, long time ago, 30 something odd years ago. And that she was um, battling cancer. She had fought it 10 plus years ago, um, got into remission and it came back. And, you know, she's 95, 96 years old. Um, and that she was in hospice when the last time we were together. The day after my birthday, um, she transitioned to eternal peace. And I've talked about this before. Um, my great, great, great uncle uh, was on his way a month short of turning 100 last summer um, when he, he transitioned. And I've talked about how it feels different when someone that way up in age, 90s, high 90s, 100 plus 100, when they transition because it feels like such a fulfilling long life. I mean, someone at that age has forgotten more things than we've experienced. And while I was sad, my sadness was comforting because of the final few months of her life. And I equated it to, if you remember, uncle passing, about I believe two years ago, almost. And how the end of his life dealing with prostate cancer was extremely difficult to experience from someone not going through it. And so I have a lifelong thing with hospitals, lifelong things with hospice uh, or even rehab facilities. Not a fan of any of them. I don't like going into hospitals, but I've gotten to the point where I mentally prepare myself and draw the strength to walk into places because my thoughts are you rarely go to a hospital for something positive besides birth, maybe a checkup or something like that. If the hospital is where your PCP is, but there's usually something wrong something going on you're visiting somebody going through something and even sometimes death and so i don't have great connotations when it comes to hospitals or medical facilities i've gotten much better over the years with enduring and granted it's very minuscule enduring compared to the people i'm there visiting or in this case my mentor and what she was going through does not compare not comparable in the least um but it is something that i have to do mental hurdles in order to to experience. I sit on a, a board, I'm actually board um, chair for an organization and I had a board meeting recently. And one of the ways we start every single meeting is by having a moment of gratitude where everyone on the call um, goes around and expresses a moment of gratitude. I happen to go last at the last board meeting. Typically I do, everybody else goes first, I'll go last. and. Knowing the meeting was coming, um, I did not prepare for the moment of gratitude. And so I kind of went off the, the cup, you know, I just kind of went off the dome. And it dawned on me what my moment of gratitude was, was about my mentor. And it wasn't the fact that, you know, she transitioned and she's peace and she's, you know, no more pain, no more cancer, anything like that. It was after she passed, speaking with her family, her next of kin, a daughter, her son-in-law. And hearing from them what she said when she still could speak about me. And it was something that I was not prepared to hear, did not expect to hear, but extremely, extremely grateful 
to find out that what I thought she thought about me was not even adequate enough. And so that was my moment of gratitude in that meeting that, you know, the person she saw me a long, long time ago, she believed I realized. And so when you, when you look at how people perceive you, especially people you love, especially people you care about, especially people whose opinions matter. Sometimes we have those conversations where they tell you in their own words. And sometimes we find out from people who, you know, in a different room, they heard about you or they talked about you. And some people, there's a saying, right, that, you know, you want to live in a certain way where people talk positively about you in rooms that you're not in. And that's what I took from that. And the, the moment of gratitude was that in many ways, I'm doing the right thing. I'm far from perfect. I'm human. I fall short in many areas. But to her, someone who meant so much to me, I'm doing great. And so, you know, 2024 started with a funeral. Um, not the best way to start a year, but her book closing and her transitioning um, out of that situation, out of the pain, out of the discomfort, out of the cancer, um, and especially when older people, and, and if you go back, it's painful when they're younger. It's painful when it's a child. It's painful when it's unexpected for somebody who just should not be passing yet. In her situation, we want our loved ones and people we care about to live virtually forever. And we know we can't. But, and selfishly, I wish she'd have reached 100. It's just one of those Capricorn things. But fortunate enough and thankful enough to have had such a powerful mentor in my life. I've talked about so many times. I am who I am and where I am in life. A big portion of that is because of her. And so moment of gratitude is insufficient moments of gratitude for being someone who got to experience her mentoring for 30 plus years. And so as always, I love her and I wish and hope that she's resting peacefully. Adapt to Adopt was created for adoptees to have a safe space to be themselves. They provide recreational support to adopted children and youth through recreational support groups, a mentoring program, sports and community service projects, and more. Tap in on Wednesdays for Adapt to Adopt's What's Up Wednesday video series, an informational check-in update video for their supporters. You can watch it on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information, visit their website at www.adapttoadopt.org. The last thing is, again, welcome to 2024. We are in presidential campaign season, unfortunately. We're experiencing Groundhog Day. Groundhog's Day. Groundhog, Groundhog's, it's, it's the day's damn repeating. Four years ago, it was Biden versus Trump. Now we're Biden versus Trump again. And I say this in, in the most respectful way I can, but it's old white men once again, deciding what's best for our money, what's best for even in so many cases, our lives. We can't get out of the cycle of having these same people in DC, these lifelong politicians, people who just, I don't know how they keep finding their way to the top of the list for our choices. I'm not a big fan of Biden. I'm a even less fan of Trump. 
for a long time, I wouldn't even say his name on his podcast. But we're trapped with an aging, cognitive, cognitively restricted, can't even get the word out, trying to say cognitively, cognitively restricted Biden and an aging, cognitively restricted Trump. I mean, is, is anyone else seeing this? I mean, how do we keep coming back to these same choices time and time and time again? Despite the fact that these aren't good choices. We have to have young leaders who actually want what's best for every American. Because, uh, listen, we know Trump doesn't want what's best for every American. Biden probably wants a little more, but he still has his agenda. Neither of them do I think will do a great job for America as a general population. It's just, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that the support for these two candidates is so massive despite their huge flaws. And I mean huge flaws. I mean, you got one who is visually, cognitively declining. And I know Democrats don't admit that Biden's declining. It's a natural part of life. There's, there's, it's not shameful, but you shouldn't do certain things. You're not, you're not going to have your, you know, grandma, grandpa who's 85 years old and cognitively declining, getting behind the wheel of a two-ton car, right? Potentially being a threat to people on the road, bystanders walking on the street. So why are we so hell bent on having Biden reelected? Conversely, we can apply all that same logic to Trump because. To me, he's cognitively declining as well. But add to that, so much rapist or sexual assault, whatever the term is, that came down from the that proceeding. Felony charges, 91, all these felony charges. About to lose his ability to do business in Europe because he's such a fraud. I mean, how do we, listen, this is like the man or woman you look past and you decide to date despite them wearing red everything. Forget a flag, they're dressed in red everything. Red underwear, t-shirt, socks. They're wearing a red hat. They're, they're, they don't have red flags, they're red. Like their skin is red. And you still decide to date them anyway. That's what we have here. We're, we're trapped in this thing. And I don't, I, listen, I don't have a, a clue how to get us out of it, but we're trapped in this ridiculous circle of bad government bad government. We can't even balance a budget. Go go Google the last Congress and who was president when the ba- the budget was actually balanced. We don't want to even have our own personal finances not taken care of, whether you're using Quicken or some other software. And I'm not endorsing Quicken at all. But we, we, we don't want to even exist in our public and our private spaces with out of control spending living past our means, upside down here and there. But yet our government can't do anything about their situation. Spend, spend, spend. And they're printing money from thin air. That's where we're trapped in. Deficit's crazy. Debt's crazy. It's a problem. And we're stuck in it for one more cycle, it seems. But there's also, there's, there's also this new fad where DE&I is a thing to slam a thing to demonize. And if you don't know what DE&I is, uh, go back on the 
couple seasons of Dave Has Podcast, we had several guests on talking about DEI. Or just Google it. It's okay. But I want to talk about this just briefly because there's some clown idiot who made remarks about pilots and that essentially saying if they're black women, they can't fly. You shouldn't trust them to be pilots. A fun fact for you, a large, large percentage of airline accidents, white men were pilots. Just saying. Florida, Florida being Florida, but still. Florida restricting funds for DEI in a Florida college system. Guess what? Utah did too. They did it for government and campuses. Can't use any funds for DEI initiatives, programs, or anything like that. But hurt. That's that's something I say when it's just kind of silly that people are lashing out. But but hurt donors are even pulling money out of Harvard because DEI and I quote appears to overshadow Harvard's role as a prestigious educator. Hmm. To me, it sounds like that particular donor is mad that the advance to go card monopoly reference isn't reserved for people who just look like him. And now the playing board is pretty even or working its way there. Everyone having equal access to go around go as many times as they want or get the card to advance there. DNI isn't a cancer. It isn't something that, you know, it's like. Affirmative action. People want to demonize it. Affirmative action came about to even the playing field or work towards it for people who were minorities, disenfranchised, while others were giving the boost to the top, the boost to financial freedom, the boost to real good housing. Those people weren't redlined. They weren't. Those people weren't denied loans that they qualified for. They weren't. And so like affirmative action, DNI now becomes the evil thing. Much like factual history. Can't tell that in Florida either. We're trapped in this Groundhog Day. It starts with elections. Remember, in Florida, when DeSantis won, or DeSantis is what I call him. And by the way, thank goodness he's out of the presidential race. I wanted there to be zero chance that this guy found his way into the White House. It would have been a travesty if somehow he did. But I would love to hear opinions on how we could get out of this Groundhog's Day. I have mine. I think every incumbent, don't vote for him. Every single one. Do not vote for a single one. Refresh the entire Congress. Every senator, every rep, do not vote for them if they're incumbent. Why not? Start fresh. New ideas, new people. Well, hopefully new ideas. You might just get worse ideas, but still, that's a risk you take. But either way, these career politicians will go do something else. They made their millions off of congressional work. So let them go retire. Refresh everything. That's how we get out of this. But I'll take any ideas you got. I think every incumbent should be invicted. Every single one. Evict them all. No person running for re-election should get elected. That's how you fix things. Get new ideas and get new people in. We'll see if anybody actually does it.
But that's what's in my head. One of the things I frequently say is that time is our most precious commodity. It's something I've said probably easily 20 years. It's just one of those idioms that I repeat. I don't know if I heard it or just came up with it. I'm going to take credit for it. If I do, I do. I don't, I don't. But uh, one of the things that a lot of us spend a great deal of time during our lives is dating. Pew Research in 2019 conducted a study of 4,860 people, approximately 5,000, 4,900 people, uh, to understand Americans' attitudes towards and personal experiences with dating and relationships. And I found this, this Pew study interesting. I'm going to talk about a couple of things. And so, you know, as we start season five, Dave says, um, this is the month of love. I don't know. Now that I think I coined. I don't know if anybody called this the month of love before I did. But um, taking a look at what people think about one of the time-consuming things in life, which is dating, takes a lot of time. And so talk about some of the stats I came back with. So talk about men versus women. Um, whether it's hard to find someone who meets their expectations. Men, 35% said was hard. Women, 56%. 56%. I'll come back to some of these in a second. Hard to find someone looking for the same type of relationship as them. Men increased a little bit. Men, 45% say it was hard. Women increased as well. 65% said it was hard. Hard for them to approach people. I'm very approachable, social, not hard to me. But men said 52%, women said 35%. A little bit of a flip there. Now, looking at single adults looking for relationships or dates. Now, this is defining what you really want, right? Purposeful dating. Not looking, 50%, looking, 49%. Now, I equate this to like 50.2 and 49.8 type of thing, because uh, it obviously doesn't add up to 100. But breaking down at 40, 49% of people who are looking, uh, casual dates only, 10%, committed relationships, 14%, and looking for either whatever happens, happens, 26%. Last bit, which I found extremely interesting, um, relationships sometimes end, right? You have to make decisions for yourself or somebody screws up or somewhere in between. Ways to end a committed relationship. And so this is on a always or sometimes scale. And the assumption is that the opposite or the, the completion of that 100% is the never crowd. In person, the surveys uh, said 88% said always appropriate to end the relationship in person. 9% said sometimes, which means we're looking at about 4 or 5% that said never. Doesn't make sense to me, but okay. Phone call, 10% always appropriate. 41% sometimes, which you know leaves about 49% saying never ended by a phone call. Here's where it gets interesting. Text message. Rude. Don't do that. 2% said it's always appropriate to end a relationship by text. 11% said sometimes would mean the vast majority of people said don't end a relationship by text. Email actually has the exact same numbers. 2% always, 11% sometimes, and the rest never. I didn't know this was a thing. DM on social media. You end your relationship by a DM on social media. Uh, 2%, probably the same 2%. Uh, said it was always appropriate to do that. Um, slightly less, 10% said sometimes it's fairly easy, 88% of us who think there's no way I would do that. All these different things come back to time value and the importance of what you do with your time. Dating is, is a tricky, tricky thing. It takes a, not necessarily a complete you, but a person who's ready to receive and accept whatever comes from that relationship. It takes so many more mature things that a lot of people don't have in their toolbox at this time. And so I'm talking about time. I'm talking about so much about personal growth and all this stuff in a month of love because I want to bring in my guest for this episode, Lenny Richardson. A little bit about him. 
He is a real estate advisor, licensed and living in Northern Virginia, within the DMV area. Don't know how you deal with that traffic. Good luck to you, Matt. His mission is to help people live their ideal life by helping them improve physically, socially, and financially. Besides real estate, he's an avid philosophy enthusiast, fitness lover, music aficionado, and a book reader. I don't have time to read books. I'm trying to get back to it. With an endless level of curiosity that's impossible to satiate. Welcome to today's Lenny. How's it going? Very good. That was by far the best intro I've heard on any podcast ever. When you started, I was like, man, I was like, where's he going with this? He started with time, then dating, then pulled out research. And I was like, this is the most well thought out, <laughs> fascinating intro I've ever heard. Then you went to stuff about me and I was like, okay, now it went downhill. But <laughs> that was good. I, that was, no, I appreciate that. I pride myself on kind of doing a little research. I got some stuff I'm going to talk to you about, some research that I did, but I, I like to have um, valuable context to the things that we're going to talk about. Um, okay. So before we do that, as always on Dave's head, I gave you a little micro introduction. I like for my audience to hear from you, who you are. So take a moment, tell the audience who you are, what you do, and what you're about. Yeah. So Lenny Richardson is my actual name. Leviticus Rich is kind of my pseudonym. It's what I go by on social media when I kind of brand myself. Um, you said a lot already, but graduated from Penn State, real estate advisor. I try to call myself more of a real estate consultant now just because too many people are kind of stealing my title of advisor. So I'm trying to switch it up to stay, stay unique, stay different. Um, but I do real estate. Um, productivity coach, time management coach would be the other title I usually refer to myself by. Um, those are pretty much the main two things. And I try to, I try my best to dip my hands in as many things as possible. Not from a business standpoint, but just from a expressing creativity or just things that I find thought provoking or interesting. I try to get into just for the experience of it. So hopefully that's a good enough introduction. And... No, definitely is. And welcome to Dave's Head Season Five. I mean, we're kicking off a brand new season, doing things slightly different in some capacities, but uh, still the same. And so, I'd like to give my guests to give uh, who they are in their own words, because um, you find that it's it's unique uh, to the person, obviously, but the style of how they do it and the things they find important enough to mention uh, varies from show to show. But I want to start with something that I saw on your website, which, by the way, is LennyRichardson.online. Um, I'm curious about this. In 2024, people, when I talk about dating leading into us having this conversation, simple guide to get a girlfriend in 2024. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's get right into it. Um, you recommend the cold approach. Uh, talk about that, why that is the technique you recommend, and why your approach will be successful for aspiring daters. Yeah, so this is it's funny. You're the, literally the first podcast that's ever talked about dating stuff to me. Um, yeah, so... I made that article and I made a video kind of alongside it on YouTube. I think I made at least maybe two, maybe three in the past couple months. Um, just because I kept seeing a bunch of guys on social media and people I know in real life too that seem to struggle with dating nowadays. Um, and just for context for anyone listening, I, this is going to sound weird for me to say, but I just want to give some context. Years ago, I used to kind of be involved in pickup, if anyone knows what that is. I, I didn't do the cringier side of pickup. If you've seen guys like Mystery, who did the, he had a, I think he had a show on Netflix, or no, not Netflix, MTV, um, over a decade ago. He kind of has like a big black fuzzy top hat. 
Um, Neil Strauss. I'm going to need you to explain pickup, though. With, with yeah. So, yeah. So, pickup, basically, to keep it super short and super simple, it is almost like a science that these dudes came up with science where you'd go talk to a girl and try to basically attract them, usually for the sake of doing things that two consenting adults try to do or want to do, usually, in the privacy of their own bedrooms. Okay. Um, so that's what pickup. So one, so so one night stands. Yeah, well, yeah, so one night stands. Um, funny enough, a lot of dudes, I think, when they get into pickup, they think it's the one night stands. Not to go on a tangent, but I think yeah, they think it's about the one night stands. And then at least this is, again, this is, don't, anyone listening to this, don't think negative of it. Don't think negatively of me. But as you kind of do it enough, it loses the appeal, if that makes sense. Like you going out to bars, saying the exact same things over and over again, you trying to win a girl by doing the exact same things kind of gets predictable in a sense. And it loses the appeal. And then you realize that, which you, at least this is true for me. I can't speak for every other guy, but for me, initially it was about the validation. And I think it was about, I guess, not having access to something that made it appealing. It's kind of like, I imagine if you're a dude who wants to have like a million dollars and if you won the lottery and got a million dollars, or I shouldn't say lottery, but if you start a big business and made a million dollars from the business, a million dollars no longer probably seems appealing. So the next thing is like 10 million or a hundred million or whatever. I assume this is what some of these billionaires get motivated by and why they keep working because they the the game just keeps going up now for me the game wasn't so much about getting more girls that just became pointless but for me it was more about just finding an actual partner that was a good quality partner um so to tie things all back around that's kind of why i made those videos because i did pick up and i see a lot of dudes do some of the same exact things that i think are just massive mistakes um, I see kind of like red pill content and I even in the red pill space and for anyone, I guess that's not familiar with red pill content or red pill space. The way I think about it, it's sort of um, almost like an evolution of pickup. It's kind of guys that sort of have the science and data about how men and women interact, so to speak. And they sort of use that information, that science, so to speak, to their benefit. Um, that's kind of off the top of my head, kind of the best definition I can give. I, I think there's a lot of things that's good about it, but I also think there's a lot of things that are wrong or misleading or I think gets overlooked. And I think those few things that get overlooked kind of lead to their own issues. Um, but so not to go on too much of a tangent, get too off topic. But when I made those videos and when I made the article, um, the way I saw it is a lot of dudes kind of nowadays just stick to dating apps. Everyone's trying to use dating apps because I think it's an easy way to not face rejection. And to me, the best thing nowadays, at least, is cold approach. Um, just because if everyone's using dating apps and if all the girls get to select for the top quality attributes, so to speak, and I'm not saying these are actually the top attributes. I'm not saying these are good attributes or better or worse attributes, but things like height, maybe things like income, things like lifestyle, things that from a... I'm going to call it a marketing standpoint. If you're marketing to women, those things seem appealing. Sure, I think we can all, I think most people can agree those things are appealing. Obviously, she wouldn't want someone that, it, you know, that's broke or someone that's super short or someone that is boring. I think that's relatively agreed that's upon. Yeah. yeah. 
But I, I think nowadays a lot of dudes are kind of being lazy, so they're using dating apps to market themselves and try to get women. And unless you're in that, say, like 1% category or that super high 1% category, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure, in my personal opinion. Um, so I think cold approach is the better way because in pickup, what they teach are things that anyone can use regardless of height, regardless of how attractive you are, regardless of how money you are. And these aren't things like pickup lines. I know even though it's called a pickup line, pickup artists don't, good ones at least, wouldn't use pickup lines. There's other things they would, they would do. But by approaching someone in real life, you get to really sell yourself on the spot. And also because more pe- because a lot of dudes just are using dating apps and they're not willing to go out and just see a girl at a you know without being drunk at a bar or mm-hmm. in a library or a coffee shop and just walk up, say hi, and maybe say a few clever things to get her attention. Because so many guys aren't doing that, there's more opportunity for the guys that are willing to yeah. do that. You, so you I know that was a very long that was a super long like answer to your question, but hopefully that makes sense. I I, I will say two things. Uh, one. Um, I appreciated the analogy of the million dollars. I had a really bad one stuck in my head um, to kind of equate to that, which was you're chewing the same gum and after a while it loses its flavor. Um, probably just a bad analogy for the current context. I think that's a better one, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, I'm also curious, too, how this the, the cold approach. Um, I, I'm in a relationship now, so I'm talking way, way back decades ago when I was uh, single for an extended period of time. And, and probably dabbled into some of the one-night standish type of lifestyle for a little bit. But I'm curious how I would have done, and this is just random thoughts, I'm curious how I would have done in this approach um, and how it would compare to, I guess, how I was out there um, in bars and restaurants and clubs and all that stuff. Much, much long, long time ago for those listening. Just curious. So you're, you're kind of asking, like, what I would recommend or what I would probably do is... Or... No, no, I was, I was just thinking out loud. I wonder, just based on everything you said and the techniques, and you kind of vaguely talked about it, but I'm curious. I'll be curious if I put myself in that position years ago if it was kind of the same thing or different things, you know, that I was doing. Yeah, I, I you know what, I, I'm not sure how how what your age is, but I would imagine even like I would say, like for me, I'm I don't like to say this out loud because I have a weird thing about age, um, but I'm 31. And even when I was in, say, like high school or college, like early college, dating apps, dating apps kind of, for me at least, started to take off, I would say maybe when I was 20-ish, I think. That was about when Tinder, there was Tinder, and there was like another app called like Whisper, which I don't think is around anymore. Um, Whisper wasn't really as good of a dating app, but it was catchy for a brief period of time. Um, that's kind of when those apps first started to pop up, but back then they weren't really even, I think more people kind of saw them as just pure hookup apps, at least in my experience, than I think nowadays dudes want to use them as a hookup app. I think a lot of girls on there now, and I haven't used Tinder in years, but the last time I did try to use it, it seems like there's more girls now that are either selling say OnlyFans or they're selling their Instagram page or something like that. Or maybe they're looking for the top 1% guys, whatever. Um, But regardless, it's not what it used to be. Um, So I I imagine, I I think the further back you go, the easier it is to just talk to somebody and have them be open to a new interaction or a new conversation. Um, Even nowadays, people my age and people younger than me, 
I think are pretty, I'm saying this loosely, but antisocial. I don't think they want to actually speak to people in person. They prefer to do it online or through text. Um, and I'm not sure if there's data that backs us up. This is just kind of my personal experience. Well, no, I agree. I think the, the more we've got engaged in technology, I'm a technology guy, I work in big data. So it's been my life for 20 years. But the more we get engaged in technology, the less we have to spontaneously respond to things, you know, talk to people, identify personality traits, that type of stuff, where if you're just typing, one, you have time to think about your thoughts before they come back, you know, you're sent back out. Um, mm. But two, you don't, you can say things that may not sound right and twist it as, oh, it was just this, or send a laughing emoji or something like that to kind of change the whole context of the statement. So it's, it's a lot less informal and less responsible conversation. Um, you're not held right. accountable to a lot of things you say because you can laugh at all or emoji at all. Um, but talk about, staying on this topic a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. talk about what eudaimonia is, um, which you refer to as the good life. Um, and how can one achieve eudaimonia, or eudaimonia, I believe is the pronunciation, with mm-hmm. uh, dating, relationships, marriage, um, and life in general? Yeah, so eudaimonia, um, basically the good life, the flourishing life, it's sort of this concept I came across more than a decade ago when I was in college. I was kind of going through this thing of little bouts of depression. Um, and kind of while going through that depression, I had some questions about how do I get out of this depression? Why do I feel this way? How do I, what's wrong with me? And that's actually kind of the things that led to the pickup. But a lot of it was I was out of shape. I was a broke college student. And I wasn't just a broke college student. I was a broke college student that got kicked out of college twice. So it was kind of a unique situation, especially when you're around people who are just going to class every day. It's, it's, it's a unique situation. You feel pretty negative when you because you're comparing yourself to others, or at least I did yeah. back then. Didn't have a girlfriend. Couldn't get a girl to talk to me. And I started just kind of reading philosophy. I think naturally I'm just drawn to philosophy. Started reading philosophy. Eventually got into Greek philosophy. And then I kind of read... Um, I read some things by Aristotle, but it was Aristotle kind of talking about what Socrates taught him because Socrates apparently never actually wrote things down. He just, he was an orator. Um, so he just spoke to people that listened to him and some people wrote down what he taught them. Others just followed it. They just took it, um, took it and ran, I should say. But yeah, so eudaimonia is kind of one of the things that Socrates kind of coined and it was basically the good life or the flourishing life. And his philosophy was, in order for a man to have, and not man as in like gender or sex, but just human, to have a high quality life, they need to have good health, good relationships, and enough wealth to sustain themselves and live below their means, I should say. Um, and I, it, when I read that, it sounded like a simple, it was a simple concept, but the more you think about it, the more you realize most people don't, live by it myself included at, like especially at that time yeah like i said i was overweight i didn't have a girlfriend it's broke i was literally not living any of these three what i call i call them pillars um he just had the terms but i call them pillars to just make them easier to visualize i wasn't doing all three and then i realized a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck they're not living below their means nowadays like we just talked about earlier a lot of people struggle with relationships and what he says relationships by the way it's not just romantic relationships. It's also platonic relationships, but still in that category too. A lot of guys, 
struggle in that category. It's hard. I think male, I think I read a statistic either today or yesterday, and it said most men nowadays don't even have one close friend or something like that. I could be off, but I read something like that recently. That's tough. Yeah. But I mean, considering what I see with people's social skills and everyone's kind of detachment from real life, I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't shock me. Um, and then health too is a big one. Most, I, I read, I think about a year ago, I think it was about 50 something or 60 something percent of the American population is overweight. And out of all the overweight people, about like 45% are obese. So basically most people that you encounter are at least overweight, which is not healthy. Um, and in, in my opinion, in my opinion, it's, it's not healthy. Well, I will say uh, one one quick thing about the, the obesity scale, and that I'm actually considered overweight, um, borderline obese, but I'm an athlete, so there's a different scale with athletes that they don't really take into account. They do BMI and all that stuff. Um, I always always wonder about that. I mean, it needs serious overhaul and adjustment because um, somebody like me who's played football for 30 years, my BMI is going to be higher just based on my body composition. Um, but yeah, no, continue. Yeah, no, and that, on that, I, I didn't want to get like into another tangent because I tend to do that, but. <laughs> I definitely agree on that. I was wondering myself too, like how many of these dudes or people, I say dudes for everybody, but people in general, when they say overweight or obese, you know, are they really measuring like fat or are they just measuring weight on a scale, which can be misleading because you can be a five, seven bodybuilder and you might weigh like 180 or 190, which would probably put you far above the average weight for that height. But you have six, you have, you know, your 8% body fat with six pack abs. You're clearly not fat. So, yeah. um, but yeah, so I came across Eudaimonia. He had those three pillars and I don't know. That just be kind of, it, it became one of those things that I adopted as like a framework for just life. And then you kind of look around and realize a lot of people aren't following it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the message I try to spread nowadays just because I, that idea of Eudaimonia I don't know of too many people that know what that is. I've never heard anyone else say it besides me. And I think the message is so easy to, to understand and it's so simple to comprehend, but it's somewhat difficult to apply, but I think it's valuable when it's applied. So that's kind of been my thing that I've been trying to spread to people. Yeah, and, and on that note, you talk about the pillars. Which one do you consider the most important for someone to... Not master is probably a bad way to put it, but the most important of, of the three pillars. Yeah, so it's tough. I, I, I'm going to give a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is it depends. Um, I think it kind of just depends on where someone is. Like, for example, if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime after he won his sixth Mr. Olympia, health is probably not your biggest concern. And maybe even money's not your biggest concern. Maybe for him, relationships or networking, building connections might be his concern. But in my longer answer is, in the grand scheme of things, I think the order that I would recommend to people is health, relationships, and money. And I know, and again, it depends on where someone is in life. Some people might be thinking to themselves, why not money first? Why put relationships over money? The reason why I rank them this way is I think, first of all, with health, and this is physical and mental health. This isn't just physical. This isn't just aesthetics. You know, you don't need, I tell people, you don't need six-pack abs. You don't need to look like Arnold. You just need to be healthy. 
which if we're basing it on how people look, you can not look to a degree healthy and still be very healthy. And you can look healthy and be like 4% body fat to the point where you're taking it to the extremes that's actually unhealthy. Your hormones get all messed up, you know, not to go on a tangent again. But health, I think, comes first. You need your mental health and your physical health. You need, the, you need energy to be able to do things, to progress in life. And you need a certain level of emotional control, emotional resilience, the ability to kind of, in my opinion, comprehend things effectively. I think these are all things that help you make progress in life. Second thing, relationships. And I think relationships are so, are so good, partially for the mental health. I think in general, you can't really survive as a human without good relationships. You can't survive well without good relationships. And I think if you build enough high-quality relationships, my belief is that you at least build some kind of income or at least some you'll find opportunities that way. I think, oh man, I think, and this is years ago I read this, but I imagine more or less it's probably still true to this day. I think I read like years ago about 70 or 75% of people, when they find a long-term career, they find it through someone that they know, which is, in my opinion, that's networking. You just, you knew somebody, they offered you a job position, you took the job, it was a good job. You probably knew people at the company that were more hospitable towards you or more accommodating because you knew person A who introduced you to person B or C, whatever. Um, and then from that point on, once you build up that relationship pillar, I think then the money is where you wanna focus. And I always tell people, I don't think you need to be rich. I know a lot of people online, they say you need to be a millionaire, or you need to make six figures, whatever. Those things are fine. You know, if you want to do that in life, that's totally okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that you can be a guy and live in a relatively low, what's a good way to put this? You can live in an area where the, the cost of living is relatively low, not make a ton of money, maybe make like, and this depends on where you're living, 50, 60, 70, 80K, not six figures, and still live a very good life. And a good life depends on what, you know, it depends on the, it's it's subjective. But, but like, I think the idea of everyone needing to make six figures or be a multimillionaire driving Lamborghinis and Bugattis and flying on private jets, I think that's a little bit extreme. It's definitely unrealistic for everyone to do it. And I just think it's unnecessary. It's a goal that you don't need to strive for because it's, it, I'm sure those ambitions create their own problems. And I think for most people, they're problems that you probably don't even want to have in the first place. Yeah, I, I'll say, first of all, I need to make six figures because I have an eating and travel habit that I need to support. Um, but no, I do agree. I think, you know, it's very subjective what makes for a happy life. I mean, there, there are people who I know who never made over 50000 in their life and they have the happiest of lives. Um, so it really depends on... Um, like you said, relationships. I mean, you can be happy with the people in your neighborhood and, you know, you grow up, stay there. Everybody knows everybody. And it's just a nice community environment. You make 50,000 a year. Um, yeah. So I definitely agree with that. Um, talk about assets and, and asset being uh, qualities in a person. What's the most valuable asset a person can have? Um, and we, we could talk about it in, in relationship to a potential partner but also generally in life or having a successful life. And are they the same? That's a very good question. Um, what's the best asset that 
someone could have in life. And, you, and just to make sure I understand the question correctly, you're saying more so as an individual. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm slightly biased. I was going to say the first thing that comes to mind is, of course, they need to be productive and manage their time effectively. Um, the to be honest, and maybe I'll maybe after this podcast I'll sit there and think about it and change my mind. I think the thing that comes to mind that would be the most important asset is I think emotional resilience. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would probably be the biggest thing. And I, I think the reason why I say this is because my personal belief is that life is just going to challenge you no matter what. And you could have, say, lots of money. You could have, you could be gigantic. You can look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, let's say, use him again. But if you aren't emotionally resilient, to me, none of that really matters. Like, if you're someone who's big and strong and rich and someone insults you and you crumble or you're not able to handle the insult, it doesn't mean anything. It's like, you know, the money's not going to save you from if you don't have emotional resiliency. Your muscles aren't going to help you if someone insults you or someone criticizes you and you can't handle the criticism or if you can't take the insult. And even when I think about because this is one of those things I've, I was actually talking to my girlfriend about this recently. One thing I think, if I had to lose like everything, the one thing I would not want to lose is my brain and by extension, just my emotions and my emotional capacity, emotional resilience. Because if, say for example, I got sick and say I lost all of my, I, I try to go to the gym and I try to stay in decent shape. Say I lost all my muscle. Emotional resiliency is going to be the thing that says to me when I'm finally healed or while I'm sick, I can get better, I can go back, I can rebuild myself, I can probably even be better than I was before. Yeah. Same with money. If you lose all your money, if you have no emotional resiliency, then you're done. You could have got lucky the first time, won the lottery, you lose all your money. Without emotional resiliency, you're not going to make more money because you probably not – I mean, you could win the lottery again, but yeah. what, are, what are the odds? So yeah. I don't know. I think the, thing, the, the best asset I think someone could have is just emotional resiliency because without it, I can't imagine getting far in life in general if you can't at least if you don't have at least that one thing. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree with that because um, to your point, life is going to deal you some bad cards, um, whether it's relationships, uh, career, um, you know, financial health, family. Family is a big financial burden, not financial burden, but a big emotional burden uh, to some people as well. And so, in order to get in relationships. Relationships aren't perfect. They have ups and downs. Um, you kind of have to have that. I do have a question, a quick follow-up question. You, you mentioned you have a girlfriend. I'm very curious. Did you cold approach her, or how did you guys <laughs> I did not cold approach her. Okay. So I met her through Instagram. I DM'd her on Instagram, okay. um, which is some people might hear that and be like, oh, he's telling people to cold approach, but he didn't meet his girlfriend through cold approach. Yeah. But, yeah, I met her through DMing. Gotcha. Not sure. I'm guessing, is that like a warm approach? I don't know. I don't know how to describe that besides the DMing. Um, interesting. Okay. Um, I guess that's still kind of, I mean, I guess it's still a war, I guess a cold approach kind of, because at least my girlfriend, she hadn't met me at all hmm. when I DMed her. So I, gotcha. I guess that's, we'll, we'll call that cold approach. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so, so last question. Um, on your profile, it talked about a mistake that you made in your life. 
Um, I want to talk about that. Uh, what was a major mistake you made in your life? And the follow-up is how has it shaped who you are now? Um, yeah. So I feel like I vaguely know what you're talking about. I, I don't remember exactly what it... I feel like it was probably a link to something. I don't know if it was an article or maybe like a program or something. I'm not too sure. I forget off the top of my head. So I don't know exactly what that mistake is. But my answer as far as what is my what I would consider my biggest mistake, and it's probably the same thing I wrote then. It's going to sound weird. I'm going to preface this a little bit because it was a mistake, but it was also a blessing. Or at least that's the way I try to interpret it. And it was going to college. And I know that sounds a little bit weird. And I, I fight. I have my own takes on college. I'm not saying college is 100% bad. I don't think. I, I do think there is value in college for some people, assuming they know what they want to do when they get in. Um, but for me, I would say my biggest mistake was going to college. Again, it was also my biggest blessing. But it was a mistake because at the time, just to kind of add a little bit more context to why it was such a mistake, when I went to college, I, had, I went to Penn State, had a scholarship for engineering, and my plan was to do biomedical engineering. I was fascinated with, um, man, uh, wow, I'm drawing a blank on the word for it, but prosthetics on prosthetic limbs. And I wanted to kind of do research and learn more about prosthetic limbs and get into that field. That was the goal at the time. I, back then, had very bad social skills was super shy couldn't talk to people if you were in front of me i could not look you in the eye i i just i I couldn't converse well at all and a lot of and this is no offense to engineers but a lot of the engineers i knew were also bad at that exact same thing and at the time i thought to myself well you know i could be an engineer probably make good money when i graduated but for me one of the things i wanted to do in life was just experience life like a good quality life which i knew involved meeting people and having good relationships which involves talking to people and i I figured this is my logic at the time if i continue to be an engineer i'll have the money but i won't have a girlfriend because i couldn't talk to girls and at the time i was really bad with girls and they didn't want to talk to me and i wouldn't have the the drive or the confidence to even do any of the stuff i wouldn't do in life to make a somewhat long story Short. So I dropped out of engineering, switched to criminology, um, which so I lost, which made me lose my scholarship. And I didn't think this through, but when I lost my scholarship, that's what led to me getting kicked out of school because I couldn't afford my tuition. So, and this happened twice because I eventually paid off some tuition, got back in, and then they said, "Oh, you still owe about like a thousand dollars." So it's not even in my in my mind, it wasn't that much money compared to what colleges rake in. But for them, it was a lot. It was enough to keep me from taking classes. So they kicked me out again. And so that whole process of me getting kicked out, coming back, I had to do all these, go through all these hoops to, at one point I had a semester where I took all these classes because I was trying to catch up. And I got to the end of the semester, got A's on everything. And they didn't accept any of my classes because I had, this is after the first time I, I got kicked out. They didn't accept any of the classes. And they said, you need to pay the remaining balance before we accept these in a certain time frame, which I couldn't do because I was a broke college kid. And they pretty much said all those classes you took are useless, you know, try again next year. So I did, I tried again next year and I had to submit all this stuff to their, you know, their different, um, like the bursar's office and all this stuff, registrar's office. And 
at the time it sucked because you're just like, am I ever going to leave college? Am I a failure? Am I a loser? You know, but then once I kind of graduate or eventually once I graduated and got out and realized that that was all a positive experience because without it, those things forced me to, to self-analyze myself and to learn about eudaimonia and to learn about pickup and to try to boost my confidence and become a better speaker and all that stuff. So it, that's why I say it's a, it's one of the worst experiences I've, I've had, but it's also one of the best experiences because in hindsight, I realize while it sucked in the moment, if I didn't go through any of that stuff, I, I don't know what my present day would look like. Yeah. Made you stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it goes back to the life uh, dealing you bad cards, right? And it, it depends on if you just want to play the hand anyway, or fold, or or, or what. But yeah, something. I mean, something like that. So when you said that you, you were kicked out twice way earlier in this interview, I assumed academics because who wouldn't assume academics? But for it to be changing a major, losing a scholarship, and not having financials to pick up the slack. I mean, I don't know what I would have did if uh, I took all these classes and got all A's and they said we're not going to accept them. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a real tough pill to swallow. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can probably imagine my frustration, especially because like, at least at Penn State, and this, you know, I, I, I like Penn State, but there's a lot of things I don't like about them. I'm biased, of course, but <laughs> their process to me is very inefficient. And you'll submit paperwork and they'll say, okay, we'll get back to you soon to see if all these things are accepted. And you're kind of just in this weird stasis point of, am I good? Am I not good? You follow up. They're like, oh, we're still working on it. And then four months later, right before you have to apply to next semester's classes, which you don't know if you have to apply because you don't know if you've actually graduated or not. Mm. They're just like, yeah, those classes you took, sorry. Even though you got all A's, can't can't do anything about them. Try again. So then you're fumbling to apply for, for anyone that's going to college, you know, there's a certain time frame where you get to apply for classes and some classes you need to take to graduate in your major. So then that was frustrating too. Cause then you're like, Oh, I need these classes, but you know, yeah, it, it's, it's a good and bad thing. Yeah. Simple solutions for complex problems for over 15 years. SRA solutions has provided today's solution to prevent tomorrow's problem. SRA Solutions will provide you effective, efficient, robust, and reliable business intelligence, application and website design, wired and wireless network installation, PC support services, and much, much more. For more information, visit their website at www.sresolutions.org. That's www.sresolutions.org. So now for my favorite segment with my guest called First Thoughts. Uh, for those who have not tuned in for the first four seasons, the way First Thoughts works is I offer my guest a word or a phrase to get their first thought. Obviously, they are not privy to this because it would just ruin the spontaneity of it when they call it First Thoughts. So, Lenny, you ready for First Thoughts? I'm ready. All right. First, First Thought, the ideal lifestyle. What's your first thought? Freedom is the first word that comes to mind. I don't know. Should I do more than one word? Or yeah, feel, yeah, feel free to elaborate. Yeah, I, I would say the ideal lifestyle is freedom. Um, just making life whatever you want to make of it, without without breaking rules and without getting chaotic and you know, don't commit crimes and don't be a degenerate or make yeah. your freedom infringe on other people's freedom. I think that's not good. 
Um, but yeah, freedom is kind of the first thing that comes to mind. I think, I don't know. I think if you have too many, too many, which I know it's going to sound weird. Cause I like to, one of the things that I, I like to talk about, like discipline and structure, but I kind of think that you, I mean, you do need a little bit of structure to get freedom in my opinion, but I think too much structure and too many rules and too many confines, it, it, it's not going to lead to a high quality life. Like if someone's always telling you what to do and you have no freedom, I, I can't imagine you're living a high quality life. And of course, on the other end of the spectrum, if you're having too much freedom, you get into some of these influencers who just go to people's house. I've seen some influencers, they walk into people's houses for content and disturb a family that they don't even know. That's too much freedom. That's, yeah. Yeah. There's also such a thing called the Second Amendment. That's just not yeah. a good <laughs> idea. Um, yeah, not a good idea. Nope. Any <laughs> listeners, watchers, do not do that. Um, I've never heard that before, and that's, that's weird that people would do that. Um, so next, for, <laughs> I'm still stuck on that for a second. Uh, so next first thought, um, speaking of bad ideas, uh, the importance of failure, which your first thought? First thought is it's necessary. Um, it's necessary, but it's unwanted at the exact same time. I, I think this is kind of me not thinking too deeply because it's first thought, but I, I think a lot of people are kind of conditioned to think failure is a bad thing, which I understand. I think logically that makes sense. Like failure should be a bad thing, but I think you need to fail at something in order to get better and ultimately achieve it, you know, in anything. Um, I, I'll, I'll say this recently. I talked about him like four times already, but I think he's, he's fresh in my mind. Recently I read total recall by Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is why I brought him up like 15 times. Yeah. But, um, it, it's a good book for anyone listening. I highly recommend it. Probably one of the best books I've ever read so far. And he talks a lot in the book about reps and sets. And he said when he went to the gym, it was reps and sets. And part of reps and sets is you need to fail and you're pushing your muscles to the limit, assuming if you're a bodybuilder at least, so they can grow. And he said when he was trying to be Mr. Olympia, reps and sets, he had to fail to get better and ultimately win. When he went to, do, when he went to move on to his acting career, he had to fail to win. He couldn't speak English very well. A lot of the movies required certain actions or certain skills that he wasn't good at. So he had to learn. He had to fail and eventually get good. When he went to become a politician, he didn't know anything about politics, really. He knew a little bit from his relationship. Um, but he wasn't, he wasn't well-versed in it. So he had to learn about it, fail, look stupid, ask questions, and ultimately get better. So I, I, I don't know. I can see why people might think that failure is a bad thing, but I think if you're not willing to fail in life, you're probably not going to get much. And I think if you somehow manage to get things without the failure, you won't keep it very long. That's my, at least my perspective on that. Yeah. I'd say, and also you want to appreciate how you got it, you know, yeah. you didn't have to fail a couple of times to achieve the goal that you sought out to achieve. Uh, makes a big difference. Yeah. Wait, r real quick, when you said appreciating um, what you've earned, my, we talked about this, me and my friend, um, about when you fail, you appreciate stuff more. And he was saying that, I think when he was in high school, his parents got him a car. <laughs> and he said that when high school, he just destroyed it, like trashed it, didn't take any care of it. And he said it's only when he first, when he bought his first car with his own money that he had to earn from a job that he appreciated having a car in the first place. 
because he realized when you first get that that car payment <laughs> or when you have to take your car to get you know fixed at the shop or whatever you really appreciate you know how much time and effort you took to make the money to buy the car so yeah just kind of a side story that popped up when you mentioned that yeah i um i, I know a few people who are gifted cars most of my friends they had to purchase their own scrape and you know throw some money together my first car was a 78 chevy malibu um, which was, we used to call it the blue beast. I mean, this thing, the engine head was huge. I mean, it just sludged all around the street. It was a worse than snow, but it was my car. And, you know, brakes started squeaking. I'm paying money out to do that. Oil changes. Every, I feel like I was doing oil changes every other month because the thing just was leaking oil. But it was my first car. Um, so you definitely appreciate earning versus being gifted, I think, a lot more. Uh, last first story, and I saw this on your website, and I figured I had to ask you about this. Um, drunk questions card game. What's your first thought? Dangerous is <laughs> the first thought. Um, yeah, drunk questions was a little bit of an experiment I tried where I made this card game. Um, if anyone's interested, it's on the website. There's a free version that you can download. Um, as of now, there's only one physical card game that's ever been made, and that's the one that I have. That was the sample version that I used to market. But yeah, it was a game that I kind of made when I was in college. When I finally got back into college, it was a drinking game. But the questions or the 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 questions and the things you're supposed to do are very dangerous. Um, so it's one of those games where certain types of people will play it. Lots of people, I'm sure, will not play it because they'll read one of the questions and say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do this, so I guess I'll take the shot. And then three cards or two cards later, they're three shots deep, and they're just like, this is too short of a game because I'm not willing to do anything <laughs> in the game. So, And the rule behind the game is pretty much if you don't do what's on the card or if you don't answer or if you're unwilling to answer a question or if you can't answer a question, you take a shot. So it's made to get you drunk really fast, which is why the cards are so edgy. Gotcha. So essentially, everybody's sleeping over. Oh yeah. Air matches. Yeah. At least, <laughs> at least they're being responsible despite drinking mass quantities of alcohol. Yeah. They're sleeping over because they passed out like ten minutes into the game because yeah. <laughs> they're not willing to do anything on the cards. Gotcha. I was curious. I was just curious. All right. So last season, uh, there was a feature with my guests that I started called. Uh, T.O. First Thoughts. Now, the brainchild of this idea was my T.O., who is now my girlfriend, um, who put this idea to me. Um, I ran with it last season. It was kind of enjoyable with my guests. And so the idea is my guest gets to ask me a first thought. And so, uh, Lenny, what's your first thought for me? Ooh. Let me think of a, let me think of a good one. Um... I'm going to say money. First thought on money. Actually, can I, can I take this back? Sure. First thoughts on AI. Because I'm curious to know mm -hmm. people's thoughts on AI. Um, as somebody in, in data technology for 20 years, I appreciate AI. Uh, funny, we had a conversation, I want to say next to last or next next to last episode of last season with a guy. We had a pretty in-depth conversation about AI. Um, I like it. I think with any tool it can also be dangerous mm -hmm. um and so it's kind of those uh safeguards those rail guards right you have to kind of keep things under control i mean 
talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, I fell asleep on Terminator last night, um, which is the ultimate AI <laughs> destruction of the planet situation. Um, but that's what real people fear, that AI will run amok and will be in a Terminator situation or will do things that, you know, are catastrophes for finance sectors or energy sectors or whatever. Um, and, you know, to even go further, the deep fake stuff that comes out of AI where, you know, you can have a video of me saying something I've never said in my life and look totally real. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's got a lot of caution flags with it, uh, but it's a great tool. It's a great marketing tool. I use it for a lot of my podcast marketing stuff and some of the other stuff to generate content. Um, you know, you give it five words and it spits out a whole 25 word uh, marketing play or something. Yeah, so yeah. it's got it's got some great potential and, and, and a tool set, but got to be cautious. Yeah, I 1000 percent agree with that. Um, yeah, definitely a great tool. Sometimes it scares me on how good it is right now. I feel like I mean I don't really know exactly how long AI as in as a I don't know a good word for this but AI is a tool that people can access I don't know how long it's been around for every I, I imagine that some companies and maybe the government or whoever had access to it long before the public did yeah. but as far as public access I feel like it's been like two years maybe since like chat GPT yeah. at least and stuff like that yeah. and it's it's scary good like when it's yeah, bad. Part of, my, uh, part of my, one of my morning rituals is to kind of check on some technology news. Um, and I actually saw it was either today or yesterday that Chat GTP was leaking passwords somehow. Um, really? So I don't, I don't use Chat GTP. I use very specific AI tools for the things that I do. But that's scary. I mean, I got tons of passwords for financial institutions to, you know, other organizations I'm a part of that I kind of store. And so for that type of stuff to just get leaked, I mean, we already have so many data breaches that it is. Um, I feel like every other day I'm getting a free um, membership to Credit Karma or something because some bank or some organization was compromised. Um, yeah. The last thing we need is a super bot going through and just throwing all the passwords out there. So, Yeah, yeah. That would not be a favorable situation. <laughs> that would be yeah. pretty awful. Absolutely. Well, Lenny, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Dave said, uh, before I go, as I always do with my guests, I'd like to offer you the opportunity. If there's anything you want to promote or talk about, feel free to do so now. Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't, we didn't really talk too much about productivity, but my personal belief, I think in order for people to get to eudaimonia, increase, improve their pillars of health, wealth, and relationships, I think the kind of top of those, of building those three pillars is time management productivity. Um, so I have, it's kind of a, like a bundle of videos, um, different masterclasses I did back in the past on productivity and time management. It's kind of a bundle of things, a book in there, um, some guides. It's free. Uh, I imagine there'll be a link somewhere for people to download that. If you're interested, if you wanna improve your productivity, procrastinate less, focus more, that's there for you. It'll walk you through at least all the things that I've researched and things that I believe will help you become more productive. Gotcha. And for the record, Capricorns don't procrastinate. Um, so we don't, we don't <laughs> procrastinate. Uh, but yeah, no, there will definitely be a link and we'll share all that uh, throughout this uh, episode and also uh, our social media and newsletter and everything else. So if you don't subscribe or are connected to any of those things, go to the website, 
and uh, you'll see it there. Well, Lenny, uh, thanks again for stepping in Dave's head, and have a great 2024. You too, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. This has definitely been the best podcast I've ever been on. I appreciate that. Thank you. Dating is not easy in 2024. I'm in a relationship. It's easy for me. I'm loving life. But for those who are single out there, it's not easy. But an article published by Chloe Carmichael, PhD, so a doctor, on Women's Health Magazine's website, believes that dating rules can help with that. She notes that, and I quote, everyone should have their own set of dating rules, cherry pick to their own wants and needs. Ideally, these rules will push you toward healthy relationships and pull you away from what could become one-sided or toxic ones, i.e. no relationship at all, situationships, in order to save you time, energy, and lots of conflicting emotions. She adds, when you have guardrails in place to help you stay in your lane and protect you from less straightforward souls, ooh, that's a powerful phrase, straightforward souls, mm. the road to finding the one becomes much easier to navigate. And so she offered, I'm doing five, five, and then one, if you're watching. I, I tried to make that smooth. It wasn't smooth. But 11 rules, I'm going to kind of go through them briefly and talk about whether I agree or disagree. Rule number one, date multiple people at once. The premise to this, to her, is that you spare yourself the hurt by putting metaphorical eggs in several baskets. The idea here is this. If you're dating one person and you're trying to see where that goes, you may fall for them only to find out that they aren't looking for a serious relationship or aren't that into you. Whereas if you have been dating or going on dates with multiple people, they'll kind of weed themselves out and you'll reach the person who's the one. I think I agree to an extent. I think perhaps if you're starting from scratch and you're kind of just out there getting back into the dating world, I think it's a good idea to go on multiple dates. I think it's, it's not something that just women should do or just men. I think as you meet people, come across people, um, introduced to people, um, I was really against being set up, so that was never me. Um, that's sure. Date, going on multiple dates, trying to get the person that you want makes absolute sense. But then as you hone in on one person, the other ones fall off. You know, sorry, just not into you. Um, that makes sense. Number two, keep dates short. She says no more than 90 minutes. I disagree with this one. I think if you're vibing and it's two hours, three hours, or maybe you're going from this restaurant, you want to go to a bar and continue the conversation, I think you should do that. I think if you're really vibing with someone, be in their presence. Have conversations. Find out who they are. Find out. You can find out a lot of things. You just keep talking. Just keep them talking. You'll find out a lot of things. And maybe you'll realize, hmm, this vibe is not that good anymore. Or this vibe is, is, a, is a shit. So I don't agree with that, keeping days short. I think you, you keep it to the time frame that is a time frame. Now, if they suck from the beginning, if you, um, <laughs> I think, uh, Delivers from Eva, I think was um, the uh, movie, or Daddy's Little Girl. Daddy's Little Girl, I think it was, where um, oh, I'm blanking on her name, married to Dwayne Wade, uh, Gab Gabrielle Union, where she's dating a guy who's, uh, he wants some shrimp, shrimp, 
I'm at the restaurant. He's a rapper. He's in his 40s. Yeah, I'm just going to take the check. It's not going to be a 90 minute date. Makes sense. Number three is be upfront about wanting a relationship. Now, I 100% agree with this one. Her premise is nothing to be gained by hiding what you're looking for. 100%. Here's the, the small catch. Sometimes you just don't know what you're looking for. Like if you're beginning of the dating phase, you're just trying to see if somebody interests you. You're trying to see if you should give up again. You, you, I'm giving up on dating. I'm not dating. I'm not doing this ever again. And maybe you're just like, yeah, maybe I'll try and see what happens. So you don't really know what you want. But I think it's also important to communicate that. Or I'm coming out of a bad breakup. And so I need time to heal before I think about moving past a friendship. But that's honesty. But being upfront about wanting a relationship or friendship or situationship or whatever. Number four, avoid talking about exes on early dates. Couldn't agree with this more. Um, her premise, talking about past relationships and breakups gets heavy fast. Now, if the conversation steers that way and you're sharing and it's, it's just heavy, you're vibing. Okay, cool. All right, we could talk. We could talk. One of the things she suggests, and I agree with that, if it comes up from the person you're dating, maybe steer it a certain way. You know, I understand I, I have a situation with X2, um, wasn't a great one. But I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Maybe, you know, we go on another date or two or, you know, we get more comfortable around each other. I'll be happy to open up about that. But really don't want to talk about exes tonight. Something like that. Number five, pay more attention to follow through than advanced planning. Now, her premise is this. I wouldn't write off someone based on how far or not far in advance they initiate a date. Some people are just not great planners. I would, however, notice if they mention plans and then don't follow up on them when the day comes. Agree with this. I'm a planner, um, but I think it's also important as you're planning first date, second date, meet up, you know, because you don't have to go on a date. You could just meet for happy hour. You can do different things besides an actual date date. But it's important to pay attention to the conversation dialogue leading up to that because you might identify that, oh, they like tacos. Oh, they like jazz clubs. Oh, they like five guys. I don't know. And maybe that's a great idea for a first date. Let's go get some tacos and go listen to some jazz, something to that effect. And so if it's something they come up with a week before the date or say last night, Hey, I freed up tomorrow. Are you busy? Or if you're free, do you want to maybe get together, go out somewhere and uh, chat, get to know each other a little better. However, if um, they plan dates, you know, a week out, day before, and then like two hours before the date, uh, something came up. Plan another date, hour and a half before, uh, something came up. You might want to notice that. You might want to pay attention to that. It might want to be a red flag. Number six, don't feel obligated to send a thank you text. Now, I forgot to premise this entire list that she's directing this towards women, mostly. And so um, I would disagree with this one. I think. If, well, let me give you her crux first. She's more old school when it comes to pursuit dynamics, which evolutionarily speaking, tend to be led by the male. So that's the crux of this whole thing. If you thank your date warmly and sincerely in person, she says that's enough. 
However, you could reassure them if you appear, you know, standoffish. Say you were nervous and so you kind of were a little closed and tight. And you don't want to give the wrong impression that, oh, the date sucked. I don't really like them. Maybe you can send a text. And that's her exception to the rule of not sending a thank you text. I think it's good form to follow up either that night. You know, maybe you both drove separately and, you know, hey, I made it home. Just want to thank you for blah, blah, blah. I, I think that's mature. I think not saying that even if you already said thank you in person, I think it also shows who you are that even though you said thank you already, you're thanking again because it's appreciation. You appreciated the effort and you at least want to communicate that. Just my thought. Number seven, give them two weeks to reach out again. The premise being that's plenty of time for a person to have decided whether and when they want to see you again. Pay attention to how they follow up when they do. Two parts of this. Uh, two weeks is a long time. I think unless they've communicated that, you know, hey, I got to go out of town for business and, you know, may not communicate as frequently as we have been, or maybe, you know, just timing with I'm going on vacation next week, so I'm going to be in Bahamas or Jamaica. I appreciate the time we spent together so far, but I'm on vacation. I probably won't be texting. Um, unless there's been some forward communication, okay, maybe that type of thing would be appropriate a week or so two weeks after a date kind of gives the impression you're not that into them and that's my take on it i think we live in a world where there's a lot of technology a lot of ways to communicate and i think if you go on a date and don't hear from somebody for two weeks i'm going to take that as we just aren't vibing but it's okay the other side at is paying attention to how they follow up and so if things were kind of vibing on hey this beautiful blah, blah blah all this stuff and now it's Kind of when they do follow up, it's, hey, what you doing tonight? And it's like 930 at night. Um, some things may have shifted in their impression of you. And now it's going from I'm going to date you to I'm just trying to hook up booty call type of thing. That's the type of thing I take from that. I kind of agree. Number eight, wait at least a few dates to have sex. We finally got to the sex topic. The premise being 1000% to each their own, which I agree with. A dating rule that can really come in handy for sparing your precious heart is avoiding sexual intimacy until you know you're both looking for the same thing. I understand, but I disagree. I come back to vibe again. There are people who have sex on a first date, go on to live and have great marriages for 20, 30 years. There are people who wait 90 days and they break up and get divorced within six months. I think it's all about how things are vibing. I think it's all about what you are feeling in the moment and whether there's a connection there. Understanding that some people get very much more attached emotionally once intimacy happens, where others stay the same level and it has to grow organically throughout the process of dating and relationships. So I get it. I say do what's best for you. If you know you attach emotionally really early, might be a good idea to wait on the sex because you never know where it's going to go, especially if it's early. If you're somebody who can handle it and hey, you just feeling it that night, do what you want to do. Agree that it's 100 or a million or a thousand percent to each his or her own. Number nine, and this is something that bothers me about social media lately. Don't freak out about who pays. Her premise is, and I, I rock with this premise. It's almost 2020. And it's time to stop forcing gender norms on dates. 
This is an opportunity to do what makes you feel comfortable and stays within your values. Couldn't agree with this statement anymore. Now, I will say this. I was raised a different way. Um, so first date, second date, third date, whatever. I'm probably 100% going to pay. It is interesting and commendable and appreciative when in the past on, you know, just dating phase type of stuff, a woman would offer to split or offer to pay the tip. Always commendable, always politely declined. But I also felt that's pretty cool that she at least offered. Now, sometimes it's way too early to understand and, and recognize whether a person is genuine that that offer or just kind of doing it so that it looks like they care. Um, but it's always, to me, just the offer of it is commendable. And it's, it's a good quality in a person to have. But the whole conversation on social media, the freakouts about, um, you know, who should pay and all this other stuff, it's just, yeah, it's annoying. If you want to pay, pay. If you want to ask if you can pay, speaking to women, or offer to pay, not ask, but offer to pay, feel free to do so. Some men will say, I got it, absolutely not. Other men will say, oh, okay, yeah, we could split it. Different people have different values. And a lot of people these days, and a lot of the comments I see on social media, especially from men, is that we're in the courting phase, yes, but we don't really know each other. We're barely friends. And a lot of my friends I go out with, we split the bill. And these are men. My friends know I'm going to pay no matter what, probably. But we don't really know each other like that. So maybe the first date, we split the bill. And then dates after that, we'll, we'll I'll take care of it. To each his own, to each her own. Let's just not freak out about it and make it a whole gender wars thing. That's all. Next to last one, number 10, feel free to do some of the planning yourself. The premise being, again, some people just aren't great planners. If you have a certain idea in mind, throw it out there. 100% agree. Because not everyone is a Capricorn male who loves planning. Well, not loves planning, but does planning very well, I think. And so you get some guys who just... Not to say they don't pay attention, but they're not tuned in yet to what she might like. And so they're already sucking as planners in life. And so it's a catastrophe waiting to happen if they were the ones that spontaneously create the plan or even not spontaneously, but create the plan. And so if you have idea, if you have preferences, if you're worried about some things being completely off the wall wrong, offer up your ideas. It'll help. Even if they're a planner, it'll help to kind of narrow the focus, but if they're not a planner, it will tremendously help with whatever planning is coming. And the last one, <laughs> I love this one, by the way. The last one, eat whatever the heck you want. The premise being this, and I love this saying, life is too short to be with someone who doesn't appreciate your appetite. I could not agree more. Here's the thing, and I'm gonna I'm say this in the nicest way possible to the, the, the young men and adult men and just men out there. You go on Google, you go on to some restaurant websites that kind of compare and you can look up restaurants. A lot of times you see dollar signs that indicate the amount of money for a meal, the average cost. $1 sign, $2 sign, $3 sign, $4 sign. It's typically what you see. Don't try to go to a $4 restaurant with $2 money. Say that again. Don't try to go to a $4 restaurant with $2 money. Live within your means, date within your means. If you ain't got it, 
Don't try to, sh to show off and floss and flaunt. And then tomorrow you're paying late fees on your rent because you couldn't pay on time. The most important thing is your pockets and your money. And this, I'm saying this to you guys because, again, I'm a guy who's going to pay for the first date, second date, third date, whatever. And so I'm not going anywhere that I can't afford. The other side of that, too, is I'm a bit of a foodie. Food snob, you can even go as far as saying. And so I'm going to eat some good food. So I'm not going to sit here and worry about, oh, she ordering lobster or she ordering this because I'm probably ordering a filet and shrimp or whatever. I'm ordering a surf and turf myself. Again, I'm not going to go to a $4 restaurant if I only got $2 in my pocket. So live within your means, date within your means, but check out the article on Women's Health Magazine websites by Chloe Carmichael, PhD, and it talks about dating rules and things that you should do, hopefully, to make your dating experience better. But again, coming back to 1,000% to each his or her own. So I want to thank Lenny Richardson. Check out his website, www.lennyrichardson.online. Say that again, www.lennyrichardson.online, not .com, .online. Support our sponsor, SRE Solutions Inc. For all your PC support, antivirus, and so much more website development needs, check them out at www.sresolutions.org. And if you're interested in sponsoring on Dave's Head in 2024, season five, reach out to me on any of my social media and we can make it happen. Before I let you go, let me tell you about Fire Breathing Kittens. Fire Breathing Kittens is an actual play, one-shot podcast that plays various tabletop role-playing games with a season-long plot. Because there's a beginning and an end to each week's story, you can start at any episode. Every week has a different combination of four from the same rotating cast group of people. Join Fire Breathing Kittens as they solve detective mysteries, attempt comedic banner, and enjoy friendship. Check out Fire Breathing Kittens on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and so much more. Go ahead and Google them. Lastly, this season, I'm going to leave you with a quote to cap each episode. We talked a lot about dating, and we talked about building up character with our guest, Lenny Richardson. Here's a quote, and I'll say this before I give the quote. This quote is attributed to unknown, but it's often misattributed to Thomas Jefferson. Just want to put it out there. If you want something you have never had, you must be willing to do something you have never done. Dating in 2024 is hard. Sometimes you got to step out the box to get the prize. So DE&I, eudaimonia, and dating rules. All great reasons to be in love with now. That's all for this episode of Dave's Head. New episodes release on the second and fourth Friday of the month. For all things Dave's Head, check out our website at daveshead.card2rs.co. Subscribe to watch new episodes on YouTube or Spotify video, or to listen via your preferred podcast player, go to anchor.fm forward slash daveshead Thank you for watching or listening. As always, enjoy life, because life should be fun. Take care.